0: Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin, each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. I'm David Averin, and I am uh, thrilled. I always say I'm thrilled, and I generally am because I decide who my guests are gonna be. So I only pick people who, who will thrill me, and who have thrilled me historically, and continue to thrill me in the future? Today, I'm joined by my my good friend, the brilliant, the lovely, the talented Amy K. Hutchins. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Amy
0: K. And whether it's it's morning when you're listening, for those of you watching this on video as well, you get a chance to see who she is. Um, and I will clarify for others as well because you have a, a wonderfully uh, unique name and a memorable name because it's not Amy K. Hutchins; it's Amy K. It's one Amy word. K. <laughs> Amy Kate, and, uh, and what, what was the, the, before I give you introduction, what was the derivation of that? Where did that come about?
1: Oh, I wish I had some sexy story, you know, I was- Make something no,
0: up. Give me I a, know, a,
1: seriously, a... I was like hacking my way through the bushlands of Thailand, but no, uh, when I was two days old. I got the case lit over for my middle name and I've technically been amic, amic, and Amok my whole life, but it is Amy K.
0: <laughs> so was somebody at the hospital had, had, had moved no, that over? my grandmother.
1: My grandmother oh. did it to it. And then it like came and went for a few years and then it just sort of stuck. And so a lot of people are like, oh, you did that for marketing and branding purposes. And I was like, no, wasn't that smart enough? What
0: was, she, that, what, was, what was that old joke about um, somebody in, in the hospital and they said, what, your, what your, your baby's names or their twins, boy and a girl. And, and the woman said, well, the, the, the hospital already named them for me. And like, what do you mean? It's just, well, it was on the thing. It was um, orangelo and lemongelo. And right when you look at it closely, it's orange jello and lemon jello. And she, anyway, it's, it's an no, That's, joke that's from also,
1: one. there's the joke where one woman's like, well, they already named my kid. And they're like, what? She's like, famale. And they're oh, like, right. so that would be female.
0: Yeah. And her brother, Melee.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly right. All right, quick introduction here. Amy right. Kay, a former executive of a billion dollar global consumer products company and awarded the Vistage UK International Speaker of the Year, for those of you who know Vistage, the world's largest CEO executive organization, where are we now? Probably about 24,000 members in about 20 countries around the world, something yep. around there. Um, she's a dynamic, energetic catalyst for producing sustainable solutions to a leader's most pressing challenges. She's a feature contributor for Entrepreneur Magazine, and her latest book, The Secrets Leaders Keep. Amazon bestseller, thousands of executives in over 10 countries have benefited from Amy Kay's keen insights and intuitive understanding of the issues leaders face. And I will tell you that I am one of those beneficiaries. When uh, Amy Kay and I originally had met, I was a Vistage chair as well. And my chair group, you know, the Vistage groups, the CEO groups, they meet once a month. They go in a room, they close the door, they take off the mask, and they hash out their biggest challenges and I was really blessed to, as part of my career my um, in my in my late forties to uh, to lead some of these executive groups. Well, the people who lead these groups also get together once a month for their meeting and so Amy Kay comes in and she's our speaker, and she looks like she's twenty two oh, and she's wearing this and she's wearing this you know a casual sweater and jeans and I'm like. Okay, Sparky, what do you have to teach us? And I will tell you, like literally, not only did I have like a mad crush on you by the end of the day, but the, the brilliance of, of, this, of this woman was astonishing to me. And even to the point where later on, when I had my retreat with Vistage, I had Amy Kay come in and work with our group as well. So I have been... The beneficiary, not only of, of a great friendship, of getting to know you on a personal level, but watching you in action, one of the most dynamic speakers I've ever seen. Oh, thank you. Really keen insights into sort of executive mindset and beyond that, um, behaviors and where those behaviors originate and that that's interpersonal dynamics. And so... Uh, I know I'm gushing about you at the beginning, but- No, um, it's good.
1: Works for me. There we go. <laughs> but but tell, tell us
0: about your, your business and your career now. Where do you focus your time? What do you love to do? And where are you, uh, you deriving most of your, your work and your income and your activities?
1: So there's this great thing that I learned years ago, and I take no credit for it, but I had the fabulous opportunity to work for somebody that said, you must reinvent. Or you will die like you have to constantly reinvent and so we reinvented again in 2014 and we're just getting ready to reinvent again in 2019 and what i mean by that is that my core is not changing my values aren't changing my my areas of expertise aren't changing but the way that i'm teaching the way that i'm training the marketing and the branding around it is all changing and so i'm really stoked and so i i spent my whole career teaching I started off as an elementary school teacher um, and then I was a teacher trainer and then I was a corporate trainer and then I started a training company. And then here I am um, much later in life and I'm still teaching. And that's, that's the joy. It's in my DNA. And so now I'm just really focused on conversations, Dave. The quality of the thinking and the quality of um, the way that we communicate is what I really spend my entire time teaching people how to be better communicators.
0: Mm -hmm. and and on what level of an organization are you working with the rank-and-file are you working with the leaders and and what challenges are they having that precipitates a call to Amy K what are they saying help us with Blake
1: yeah so no it's it's all of the above Um, I wish I could say oh I only work with except that at the end of the day people are messy people are cray-cray people are quirky and so I'll get the phone call when somebody's got a really tough conversation on the horizon They've got that difficult strategic alignment issue. They've got a really toxic culture. They've got poor performers. So I get called in when people are sort of like, duh, I'm really good in business, but I'm not really great in navigating this conversation. And that's when I get called in.
0: When you talk about reinvention, I mean, clearly you and I both consult, we both speak um, different aspects, but working with organizations What precipitated this change for you? Was it recognizing that the model for us as speakers and consultants and trainers is shifting because of technology and mindset? Or is it because you see how organizations are doing what they do is shifting and you're making sure you're adjusting your model to, uh, to be able to serve that changing landscape?
1: No, I think it's all of the above. I think there's a confluence of events that are happening right now. So one, it's no different than, do you remember years ago when like online banking started and everybody was like, I'm not giving you my credit card and my I'm not paying bills online. It's right. insane, you know? And then now it's like, who, who pays a bill like writing a check and sending it in the mail? Well, I know a few, but um, we don't do that anymore. So we're comfortable with the technology. It's no different in the world of e-learning. So everybody's now comfortable with all the platforms. You can go online, you can watch video. We all love video, we love short videos. And then the budgets have shifted in corporations. So everybody says like, we really want a keynote speaker at a huge event, but we really don't want to bring you in for 20 of our folks. We really don't want to bring you in for 75 of our folks. We want you for 5,000, but we really don't want the smaller budget items. And so we've noticed that going online, is awesome for everybody because I know you. You live on the road. I live on the road. I am sick and tired of having the cold that never goes away because I've always got that petri dish in the sky feeding me more germs. It's,
0: so sit in, a, in an iron tube halfway around the world with everybody else's germs. And it is keeping ourselves well is, is paramount because we are that revenue generator. It depends yeah. on our participation. How has e learning? shifted at it as it required less certainly it requires less in terms of travel but are there things that you can do beforehand in creating structure and infrastructure that gives you sort of sustainability without your direct involvement or or is there is it sort of a, a melding of the two
1: well i'm still directly involved cuz i'm still the product you know i'm still the deliverer of content but here's right. the really cool thing i'm now accessible 24 hours a day and there's a wealth of me. So it, sounds so it sounds goofy to say, but instead of just showing up and having like that 60, 90 minute kind of wham, bam, people can sign up online and say, I get Amy Kay all year. I get over 50 of her videos. Like I have access to all kinds of, and like you mentioned um, mindset earlier, we really break it down into three modules. The conversations that you're having internally with me, myself, and I, the conversations you're having professionally, and then the conversations you're having personally. So We literally walk into your kitchen, we walk into your bedroom, as much as we walk into the boardroom.
0: When we look at the early years of e-learning, uh, and I don't want to talk so much about the structure as I do the content, but the structure is yeah. kind of interesting as well. The delivery model is interesting as well. The early days was, just like the early days of the internet, was basically your website was a backlit brochure. It just mirrored yeah. what your brochure was. It, was just, it just had a nice glow to it. E-learning in the early stage was just taking that original workbook and putting it online. Correct. How has, how has the interactivity and even the metrics around it and algorithms changed what the early stages, the early years of e-learning look like?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's a complete shift because in the early days, it was um, two-dimensional. It was you would go online, you'd download something, and you would do it on your own. I mean, it was kind of the joke that e-learning was really just a portal for a lecture, um, and now it's community. Now it's engagement. Now it's real-time feedback. It's live webinars. It's it's this community of learning that's happening in real time. So one of our one of our favorite features, at least that we're told by our students, is that they love it when I come on and do live Q and A because they get real coaching and real consulting in real time about real issues. It's not a oh, it's not even office hours like with your old school professor. Well, I can go ask right. my professor questions, and that's
0: question. one at a time too, isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah. And so it's, it's amazing how when thousands of people go online at one time, you're building a community of learning and collaboration. And so I will say that Facebook has made it a little difficult with all of their hiccups this year in doing communities, but now there's other platforms out there. And so we're in a, in our own learning curve of saying, well, what's going to be our 2019 platform? Cause it's probably not going to be community on Facebook just because right. so many people are resistant to it now.
0: Wait, and and is, it, is it hard to sort of go all in and make a commitment? Because you never know. I mean, they're just closing down Google Plus right now.
1: Yeah, that exactly. Was
0: gonna, that was going to be the next big everything. You almost never know what's the next MySpace going to be. Um, do you... Well, if
1: you don't, and you're flexible. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like we had Facebook communities. And then we got people started to say, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. And you have to listen. Now, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I know you say this.
0: No, you no, but we're, we're, but we're talking to, to our audience as well. So so say yeah. it out loud.
1: You have to listen. Like when your customers come to you and say, we don't want to be on Facebook anymore. Now, are there millions of people on Facebook? Of course. Billions, right. Exactly. But you can't say, it's fine. It's like, we're not going to listen to you. No. When you have professional people that are coming and saying, I'm okay with Facebook for a little while, or I'm not okay with it anymore, you have to listen and respond. And so we had, we've had we had Facebook communities in all of 2018 probably not going to have them in 2019.
0: Yeah, it's all shipping. Um, <clears throat> let's talk less about the structure and more about the content. Yeah. So what is your, what is your learning? What is the, what's, the, um, what's the problem that you solve? What's the, the mechanism and, and the core of the lesson? And, and what's being received on the other end? What, give, me, give me the Amy K.
1: Yeah, you know, so special now I get fired magic. up. I get super passionate about this. So Good. I really believe that life happens one conversation at a time. And it sounds really simple until I ask you, have you had a conversation in the last 12 months you'd like to redo? And everybody's like, Yeah, hello. Yeah. And so absolutely. Dave, I won't pick on you, but you know, I'm like the type where I'm like, oh, probably shouldn't have said that. Or five hours later when I'm swirling my cocktail, like, Oh, I wish
0: I would have said it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly right.
1: So we're just helping people to really own the fact that this is happening and we have to raise the level of critical thinking. And so a classic example is, you know, we go 90 miles an hour. We're super smart. We go in, we talk to somebody and we wing it. And then we realize we could have handled it better or we get blindsided by somebody's agenda or we react. And this is kind of a big bugaboo for me. So many leaders think that when somebody's in their office demanding attention, we have to engage right then and there. And what we end up doing is saying something we regret, doing something that we regret instead of stepping back and saying, Hey, this is so important, Dave. Let's talk about this later. Give me a couple hours, and then I can wrap my head around my reaction, so that I don't actually lead with something that I regret, and instead I respond thoughtfully. And that's a big one for me.
0: Right. So tell me from a, from a leader's perspective, and I certainly have my own thoughts, but I'm I'm curious about yours because you have more um, learning around this. Why is it that we tend to respond or think we need to respond in the moment? Is is it that that we think there's an expectation that we have yes. the intelligence, the leadership to stand and deliver in that moment. Um, yes. and, and we have a
1: false belief,
0: right? We have and a what false that? belief
1: that I have to, I have to solve this. I have to answer this. I'm the leader. I'm in charge. And a, a truly brilliant leader. Um, in fact, I often say that what separates mediocre leaders or even just decent ones from really brilliant ones is self-awareness, emotional intelligence. I know what right. makes me tick. I know what makes you tick. I manage myself. I manage our relationship. Like, 58% of job performance is emotional intelligence. And so that's being able to say, okay, look, I just got triggered by you, but I'm not going to react. It's human for me to be triggered. like right. So a lot, an example I'll often give is you can be jealous. You can be envious. You can be angry. You can be frustrated. This is life. Right. How you respond, though, is leadership.
0: Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. It, it's interesting as, as we look at... Um, there's sort of this trend towards, you know, not only open door policies, which I think, of course, is we've, we've come to learn is, is ludicrous because you're basically saying, come interrupt me at any point, even right. though it may take me 15 minutes to get back on track. But this this sort of solving problems in the moment, and, and we do tend to react more with an emotion and everything else, but, but in their minds, is it that... Um, are they worried about the ramifications if they don't? Are they worried yeah, about well, looking like saying, I need to think about it, so why do you need to think about it if it's- Yeah,
1: so people, we have this false assumption that if you, if you actually wanna go be thoughtful, you clearly don't have the answer and therefore you're not smart, which is just bullshit. But right, we do right. have that false assumption. So when, when somebody reacts and it's an inappropriate reaction, the damage is exponential. Whereas if a leader is secure in his or her own voice and his or her own power, they can look at you and they can say, Dave, this is really important to me. I need five minutes to wrap my head around this, or I need to finish what's going on here so that I can give you my undivided attention. But leaders need to have those back pocket tool responses. Um, It's really important to be able to say to you and look you in the eye and say, I just need five minutes so that I can focus on you. And what we forget is that everybody's got their own movie going on in their head. Right. And so when I walk into your office, I'm interrupting your movie. And so I need to remember that you know, stopping somebody else's movie may not necessarily be in my best interest either.
0: Well, but they want to have a chance to, 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 to look at it. Here's what I, the analogy that I'm drawing, and it, was, and it sort of got me thinking here for a second. Have we become accustomed in this, this volatile online rants. It's like, sorry, I would love to spend time with you, my beautiful family, but I have to argue with a stranger for the next two hours about something that's completely meaningless because Ooh. God forbid they express an opinion that is uh, that, um, antithesis our own dynamic of what we do online. And people in, in rants, or writing that angry letter, right? And as, as those of us who consult of saying, take a moment before you hit that yes. pause button. Or send that, button, that send yeah. button, that enter button, right? Um, you know, there's others who I think are overly dismissive and saying, write that angry letter and then delete it. No, sometimes there's things that need to be said. Yeah. But there is something to be said because I can be that guy. I mean, I freely admit I can be volatile. I am, I am. I have this sort of this deep sense of justice that my father used to tease me about in a big way that that I will fight the right fight or the, the wrong fight for the right reasons way beyond what I should. Um, you know, the- but that's
1: thoughtful though. So hang on. Right. So let's, let's go back. Yeah. Pulling your thoughts together and wanting to give a voice to the underdog or the underserved or your principles or what you believe in, and your values, in your moral compass. That's all brilliant. What I'm talking about is the person that writes, let's say something on your Facebook stream, your Facebook feed. Right. And we then it's so egregious that like you immediately write back and it's like, whoa, Wait a minute. You don't need to add fuel to that fire. Stop for a second, walk away. And what happens is, is, and what people don't realize is that when you react, you're actually giving your power to somebody else. You're saying that you've so triggered me, I'm going to come up with my worst self and you're going to trigger me and I'm going to respond versus if I have my power, it's like, hmm, all right, I see you. And I'm going to think about my chest move and I'm going to think about how I respond if I respond at all. Because I'm not even sure you're worthy of a response.
0: Right. But, but you know, the response that we get, for those of us who can be a little bit volatile, but I, I think I do it in a, for the right reasons, is that in my mind, if I don't respond, he's going to think that I agree with him or that, or that he just did a mic drop, right? Well, he said it and I didn't respond. I know it. It's That's so your story. irrational. It is so just irrational. Say,
1: maybe, maybe not. So one of the things, that, let's, let's go full circle. Let's go a little bit like deeper. I'm not
0: going to be weak. You know, it's so irrational, isn't it? But that's
1: it? your story. Your story is if I don't respond, I seem weak. And sometimes I look at if you respond, you're weaker.
0: Right. So okay. sometimes
1: i just walking away and be like, you're not even worth my time.
0: Well, and, and that's the value I think that you bring to organizations. And like I said, multiple times I've seen you at work and, and you have a way of synthesizing Multiple things. I've seen you work with groups where somebody has this and say, "Yeah, but." And I think your your brilliance comes from that recognition that you can take five different things, synthesize, it and saying, "Here's what I'm hearing. Here's what yeah, you're doing." You're I'm an re-
1: elementary school teacher by training. I had 36 of those ping pong balls going around the classroom. But I think I think what it is for me is my my love is connecting the dots. My love is simplifying right. the complicated. My love is like so. When people come up to me and they're like, "I can't believe." that I've been in business for 27 years and it never occurred to me to do this. And I'm like, then just start doing it. Like, but it's so right. easy. I'm like, I know that's my point. We, we, we overcomplicate things. And it's not that life isn't complicated, it is. Life is definitely quirky and hard and messy, but I think we make it harder for ourselves.
0: How do you teach this? I've seen you work in a group. Mm-hmm. I think you're a brilliant keynote speaker. No, oh, thank you. Um, but how do you translate this? If you're doing an online environment, you got a thousand people. Are you, are you, are you teaching Amy k Are you responding to specific challenges and trying to make it relevant for the whole? What's your, I'm responding what's your methodology? To themes,
1: I'm responding to patterns and I'm responding to human behavior. So we have more in common than we have differences. Now everybody's got a unique fingerprint. Everybody's got to swim in their own lane. Everybody's got their own unique brain, but we have a lot in common. And a lot of it just starts with the way that we think, the way that we behave. And so In 1992, I made up, you know, change the thinking, change the behavior, change the result. Like that's one of my monikers. But it really does start with the thought process. So a lot of the tools that I'm teaching are, how do I think more clearly? How do I harness the collective intelligence? And then what do I do with that? And so that to me is all happening one conversation at a time. and, And we have to take responsibility for what that conversation looks like, how it's framed. And so it can be everything from personal. You come home from work, Dave, and literally The first words out of your mouth are, who left their bike in the driveway? And I can tell you right now, that's going to set the tone and tenor for everything from your personal relationship with your significant other to your kids, to how you open the mail, to how you drink your glass of wine, to how you that whole evening goes. You come in and the very first words out of your mouth was, I had a really great day. Let me tell you about something really quirky that happened. That's going to set the tone for the whole evening. It's no different when you're in the boardroom And the leader stands up and says, sales are down. Sales are down. This is ridiculous. Sales are down. And you know, my first comment is, okay, one, that's not going to help. Two, that's not going to lead to better problem solving. And by the way, sales are down is never the problem. That's a symptom of something else. So you've just trashed the whole meeting.
0: Right. Um, Let's talk about leaders. Your book, The uh, Secrets Leaders Keep. Tell me about that. What was the genesis for that? Was this this sort of pulling together, um, scenarios that you think, and I know you sort of made some of those anonymous yeah. you tell some of those stories, some they're of those completely scenarios. Made up. Yeah. Yeah. But they're all based on a pretty, real people. Yeah. And a pretty profound career that you've had in some very intimate, revealing, vulnerable conversations that you've had yeah. with organizational leaders. So what was the impetus for the book and what was your, um, what do you hope that people take away from this?
1: So I've, I've been privileged, and I use that word specifically. I've been privileged to work with leaders for 27 years. And what I found is over time, our relationships would have trust, which is vulnerability, and they would look at me and they would ask for help. And, they, and the help wasn't, wasn't about Six Sigma Lean engineering. It wasn't about logistics and supply chain. It was those really vulnerable moments where they would say, I'm struggling with, I'm frustrated with. And it either had to do with like an internal issue they were struggling with, something maybe at home that they were struggling with, or with a, a peer, a colleague, a direct report, a board member, but it was all relational. It was either the relationship that they had with themselves was suffering or with somebody at home. And so I'll just be really candid with you. I wrote a book a couple of years ago and it was like the 10 steps to being a great leader. And when I was done writing it, I realized it wasn't helpful. Like that book is out there. That book exists. And so I burned that book. I burned the whole manuscript, went out in the backyard, threw it in the fire pit and watched it go up in flames. Dramatic. And then I said, yeah, well, was a little dramatic. <laughs> but, um, but I sat back and I said, how could I be more helpful? Right. How could I do something that's more creative and significantly meaningful? And that's this book, The Secrets Leaders Keep. And so it's 14 short stories with a secret that every leader is keeping. And the leader itself is completely made up, but it is an amalgamation of the 50,000 leaders I've worked with, and I don't mean the hundreds of thousands from stage, I mean literally the 50,000 who've gone through think tanks, who've gone through programs that have leaned over and like whispered, this is scary, leadership is hard. And it's like, yes. And I feel like this book is more helpful because leaders walk away after having read it as one, I'm not alone, it's not as lonely at the top, I have more in common, I am struggling, but that actually makes me normal. And when I break through my secret, I'm actually more powerful.
0: You know, that's what, when I was reading it, that, that's exactly what I thought, was that they're going to find community in the book. They and have. Like, I, and, and you and I have both, and, and I was a VISTA's chair, and you work with the organization forever. And all of those vulnerable conversations when they go, I didn't realize that other people. One of my, one of my, my favorite stories was um, – uh, a CEO talking to, uh, who was sort of talking about the challenges and, and much of what Vistage or YPO or Renaissance Forum or any of those sort of deal with is a lot of the everything that goes on in the mind of a leader that impacts the decisions that they make and and their well-being and everything else. And somebody, there was a great story the, and he said, you know, when it really hit me was the, was the company Picnic. And I said, really, what? And he says, I sat there and I looked at dozens of people and hundreds of children, and he says, and it was crushing to me, and I said, well, he says, I realized that every decision I make impacts everybody, I mean, I looked at my employees, but I look at their children, and he says, and I didn't sleep that night, and we always talk about that, that everybody's up at two in the morning, thing. everybody is, The yeah. leaders, it's different, because they're not just worried about their family, they have to worry about everybody else's family, and that uncertainty that they can't, um, that they can't express necessarily, to their subordinates and very few of them have peers and so i found the book very validating and comforting and vulnerable and really really relatable
1: it's raw it's re- i mean it's it's not it's not um, it's not pollyanna i mean there's like a lot of the stories end and you're like this is not good and you're like no it's not good you know? well you didn't like, call
0: the book "the leader the dreams that leaders have it's not what it is
1: no it's a reason a, why they don't talk nightmares <laughs> you know? but, but i do think though that this is really important because it is scary and one of the things that a, a gentleman said to me and this is probably going back now maybe 14 years ago and he he didn't say it to be trite he was he was very serious he said you know i went into business And it took me a long time to realize that I'm never in business. He said, we're never selling the services that we're selling. We're never selling the products that we're selling. That's all a byproduct of the fact that we're actually in the business of helping people survive life. And he said, this is a place where they can come to work, where they can make their money. They can put their kids through school. They can buy a boat if they want to buy a boat. They can take a trip to Italy if they want to take a trip to Italy. But he says, at the end of the day, I'm actually a dream manager. I am helping people to live out their dreams. Now, when, when I heard it, there was a part of me, it was like a dream manager. Can we find a better phrase for that? Right. a little but
0: soft, but yeah.
1: It's a little soft, but at the same time, I, I, his, his point is profound. Right. And that is that every single one of us in a leadership position, if we do it well, it's about helping other people that are going through the same human journey that we're all going through. And unless you're making it easier for people, you shouldn't be in a leadership position.
0: Right. And and here's the other thing is is we can talk about the nuts and bolts of profitability and everything else. But the reality is that the the reality of our lives is that we spend half our waking life. You know what? we divide it into thirds, right? I'm not the first to talk about this. We miss a third of our life because we're asleep, right? Yep. 20 something years. But of our waking life, half of it's at home, half of it's at work. Is it just about accomplishing these particular metrics. I mean, the, the relationships that we have, I don't mean to be overly trite, but the dynamics that we have, very few organizations go through the strategic planning process once a year and say, I am going to, we're going to allocate 17% of our time and resources to deal with bullshit. It's, in, <laughs> it's true. It's, but it's inevitable, but we're not, we're not budgeting for it. We're not no, accounting no line board, item for it, but, but it's going to happen anyway. Yep. So to equip your leaders, to equip your people, I mean, even some of the times the audience we're speaking to are the rank and file as well. How are you managing yourself and your expectations and your conversations? All of it's incredibly important because who you are when you come back to your family at the end of the night is also a direct reflection of what you, crap you had to deal with during the day. And some of the best organizations are are, are much more functional. And so How has that, and and I don't mean to be repetitive because I I think it's important, is how has that changed even in in the last 10 years in terms of the dynamics, in terms of, of our attention span with our phones and the immediacy with which we expect to get answers and access and resources, has that changed our temperament?
1: It has actually. And the brain, the brain adapts. And so what's fascinating to me is that depending on the cultural environment that you're in, the brain will morph and migrate and have um, at a cellular level, will have different activities in different parts of the brain. And so even though, again, we have a lot in common, your environment influences your brain. It absolutely does. And one of the things that we now know is that like this new generation that, you know, do this all the time, they can switch focus faster than our generation. Okay. That's a gift. They can do that. Right. But, what, but the dark side of what's happening is they're on more anti-anxiety prescription drugs right. than ever since the history of the drug. We have more um, teenage suicide and young adult suicide than we've ever had. Yeah. Um, the United States used to be number one in math and science. Now we're number one in anti-anxiety prescription drugs. And right. so there, there is a dark side to it. And a lot of it has to do with all of the noise that we get. Um, more people are suffering from the comparison condition because of social right. media. Now, the upside is, I can donate to the Red Cross faster than ever. I can do a GoFundMe donation. I can find out what's going on in the world and I can respond um, as a supporter of the world. Right. At the same time, I have to be very careful and diligent about how I'm being served all of these messages because it happens at a subliminal level. So one of the things that we've noticed is that somebody gets offline and they've just spent, let's just say for easy, easy um, conversation, let's just say they spent two hours surfing the internet Sure. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever, LinkedIn, wherever you're at. Psychologically, they're suffering and they don't even realize it. There's so much dialogue going on in a subconscious level of, well, comparatively, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. Clearly, I don't have it all figured out. They're making things happen faster than I am. They're, they're clearly having more fun than I am, or it's the fear of missing out. Like you name it, it your, your listeners aren't hearing anything new. But right. here's what's crazy. It's changing the brain. And it's changing the chemistry in the brain. So I find this both fascinating and scary, Dave. Your brain sees a like, a follow, um, right. a, a comment, and dopamine you have spikes. the same dopamine hit yeah. that you do if you want a gambling hand, if you um, had a shot of tequila, if you um, had some kind of hit that causes your brain to say, oh, I want a hand. Um, I, I just got a shot of tequila. And so this Alcoholics Anonymous, Gambling Anonymous, um, reefer anonymous. Um,
0: Did you just say reefer? It's,
1: it's social media.
0: How yeah. yeah. No, and so, and, <clears throat> but but how does that manifest so? Because I will I will freely admit I am as addicted as as anyone. Yeah. Does that make us crave some level of dopamine hit yes. and gratification in the yes. workplace as well yes um, there, <laughs> there isn't sort of this long you do a and then you get b and then b and then c and then three weeks later you're going to have a success do as managers is, is there yes
1: because this is why people are on this trip. Wins
0: throughout the day
1: okay so first of all let me just make sure that i'm being crystal clear because i don't want to be taken out of context Right. This is no judgment. If you're on anti-anxiety prescription drugs, I'm not judging you. I'm telling you why. I'm telling you there's a reason why we have more of it. And so what happens is, is it's the inverse reaction. Is that what we do? Is our self-worth is external now. So I don't know how to experience um, an internal driver, and intrinsic motivation. I'm constantly looking for it externally. And if I don't get it, I get a withdrawal from the dopamine, and so I'm more depressed. So I have to feed myself. And so one of the things that happens in the workplace is that we start to lose fulfillment. So one of the things that we know about the human condition is that when we strive, when we work towards something, there's tremendous self-worth and self-concept in, right. I'm working toward a goal. When you're constantly looking for those mini hits, you don't get the same reaction. And so you arrive and it's pretty unfulfilling. And so now it's a double man. unremarkable of, and unexciting. Unremarkable. Yep, right.
0: Right, and so you know, people
1: it, are more miserable.
0: It is it, it, full stop. They're more I, miserable. I, I wonder if if there's sort of a connection. I, I look at at reality versus versus Hollywood, and you watch. Um, I know my my, my brother um, went to law school, and his whole life he wanted to be an attorney. He wanted to be like Perry Mason. That's how old we are, and then he got his law degree and he found himself stuck in the basement doing research on the weekends for asbestos litigation. And he's like, this isn't what I thought. You know, uh-huh. you watch the the TV dramas like for the uh, medical dramas. And do you ever notice, and I worked in hospitals for the first 10 years of my career oh, in public relations, that the helicopter comes and the whole team, they've got the gurney and they're running down that long hallway to the air. There are no long hallways that they run down. There is no running. There are no people having affairs in back rooms with livers on tables. It's pretty <laughs> mundane. It's the same thing. Most police officers will never fire their firearm in the line of duty yep. for their entire career. When cars crash, they don't really blow up, you know? Yep. And so people go, I, I would assume going into the work day, and they're going, this is lame. And so how, as leaders, how do they, do they feel a responsibility to find little wins throughout the day for their people, is that a good strategy to help keep them engaged?
1: I don't I don't know if I would say throughout the day, but I do believe that there's a couple things that leaders are doing and it works. And that is that you have mini wins and you celebrate those mini wins. You don't wait until the end to celebrate like the final, hey, we crossed the marathon. Nope. It's like today we did 125 push-ups and then next week we do 250. We're making progress toward our goal. I think you have to do that. I think the other thing is though, is that you have to be sincere. And I think because there is so much noise out there, you know, the days of, hey, good job, Dave. Good job, Dave. Those right. are over. Like, right. I have to really take the time to swing by your office and say, Dave, the speech that you gave last week was remarkable. And here's the two takeaways that I think were the most significant. And now it's Level meaningful. of
0: specificity. Yes. Yeah, Specificity leads to credibility. They know it you does. really mean it because you thought about what you were saying. It wasn't just exactly. an ad.
1: And that's, that's what I teach is that, you know, if we really think about How we want to play better, and I use that word think judiciously. Then, then everybody wins.
0: Listen, I could—I was going to say I could talk to you all day, but here's the good news: because it's America, I can talk to you all day. We just won't do it as part of this podcast. And uh, I always look for every opportunity to catch up. I learned so much. Um, I don't think you even mentioned before some of the early brain work that you did, and a lot of your education. You have phenomenal credentials, but I, I. I would assume that you've learned so much beyond the formal education, doing it in practice.
1: Oh, absolutely. And And my degree was 20, 30 years ago. So the other thing is, is that we're constantly getting new information. And that's probably what has served me very well is that I'm still very intellectually curious. And so I've probably learned more about the brain in the last five years than I did in grad school.
0: And I learned more from you. Um, Amy Kay, tell everybody how they can learn more about you, get in touch with you if they're interested in your training, in your speaking, in your coaching work. How do they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, super easy. So we have a really straightforward website, um, Amy Kay, so four letters, A M Y com. We have an online class that will launch again in January. So the power of profitable conversations is coming up. We have all kinds of free tools and resources. So they are welcome to go to amyk.com and download those. And then because I'm trying to stay hip and current, I sincerely hope you'll follow me on Instagram, which is just at amyk Hudgens.
0: Like the kids do.
1: Like the kids do. (laughs)
0: Like the kids do. Okay, here's my lightning round. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yes. Quick questions, quick answers. What was your biggest aha moment In writing your book?
1: That people actually want to talk about fears rather than all the good perfect stuff.
0: Absolutely. Mountains or beach? Oh, beach. I already know the answer to that because you and I had had lunch overlooking the ocean, didn't we? Of course, this is coming from me here in Colorado because I'm a mountain guy. would you ever go back to working for somebody else? Never. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing this way too old. And you have greater insight into the crap that goes on to organizations more than anyone else, though yes. I think you would be very valuable within that context. I um, like
1: consulting.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm with you as well. Um, what do you see yourself doing 10 years from now?
1: This. I love this. I love this. But,
0: but because you are, Amy Kay, probably in the midst of another significant, powerful, relevant reinvention.
1: Oh, totally. It, w- it won't look the way it looks today, but I will still be teaching.
0: Dream job. What I'm if doing. You were, if you weren't doing right now, if you could do anything, like I'll give you my example. If I could do anything and I didn't have to actually make a living, um, or at least to the level that I need to with my okay. high maintenance family, uh-huh. I, would, I would teach high school social studies.
1: Oh God, why?
0: Because I just, I love it. I love current events. I love kids. Oh, okay. They that love makes it. sense. Okay, you know, okay, but okay. I, I, could, I mean, I couldn't do it. It's not what I want to do. But if if money was no object and I could do something that was really fulfilling, I would teach high school social studies. Well, now, I'll tell you
1: what's interesting is I have teenagers in my life right now, and I will tell you they give me hope for the future. And so when I'm around young people who are smart and curious and learning all this stuff, I'm like, okay, there's there is hope for the future. So I totally get that. I think... There's a part of me that would love to perhaps write documentaries or write movies that showed people that um, life is hard and maybe they're not really all that alone. So I could definitely see myself doing something on the really creative, constructive side on that.
0: Very cool. And the good news is that's actually doable. Yeah, totally. That could be be your side project.
1: Uh, That's my side hustle.
0: There it is. (laughs) Hey, Amy K. Hutchins, a, a thrill to uh, have you here on the podcast, for those of you watching in video, for those of you listening, be sure to subscribe to this. We are on iTunes, we are on C-Suite Radio, and uh, other places. Um, follow us on social media and everything else, the Very Visible Business, Very Visible Business podcast, and Very Visible Business blog and everything else, and, and go, to Amy K at, or go to amyk.com and learn more about her, sign up for everything else. And she has these wonderful little videos that she does called Amy K-isms. And what I love about it, it's proprietary, and it's you, and it's your thoughts, and your wisdom, and your brilliance. Follow her, it'll be nice to, uh, you'll enjoy getting her information from time to time. I appreciate everybody tuning into this podcast every week or so, because then I'm not tied down every week. I travel pretty extensively as well. Check out some of the other podcasts, some very interesting people that we talk to. Be sure to subscribe and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at Amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin.